All right, you ready? Okay, so last week, just to give you a quick uh, recap, if you, if you missed last week, we talked about chapter one in Philippians, and, and uh, really in chapter one, Paul is, is kind of laying the groundwork for what he wants to talk about, and Philippians is a letter of joy. And what's amazing about this to me is, is Paul is in prison when he's writing this letter, but every chapter he's talking about choosing joy and being a people filled with joy, which I think is an, a really important lesson for us that we can choose joy no matter the circumstances of our present life. If he's in prison and he's in prison knowing that he's going to be tried and probably put to death, and yet he still chooses joy, if he can do that, if Paul can do that, we can do that, no matter the circumstances that we're facing. And that God often wants to use the most difficult circumstances of our lives today in order to move one of his purposes forward. And in fact, it's oftentimes in our greatest pain and challenge that we find God's power and his purpose, like for us. And so last week we were talking about this, this idea that um, your best life is not sometime in the past and it's not sometime in the future. And a lot of us live in the past and in the future. A lot of us live as if the good old days are the best old days. And your good old days might have been good, but it doesn't mean that your life today can't be the best. And it's true for me too. And some of us, it's not just the good old days. Some of us can't get past the past because of the pain of the past. And Philippians is a letter that helps move us towards seeing contentment and joy no matter the circumstances that we're in today. And um, some of us also live in the future. Like, I can't wait until this morning. Just this morning, I looked at the weather, um, and I saw that this week, coming weekend, it's going to be like in the 60s. And I found myself saying, I can't wait till we can get a fire going in the fireplace. Anyone? Now, some of you are from North Dakota, and you're like, yeah, you have no idea. <laughs> but it's so easy to get caught up in wishing for tomorrow or thinking our best life is sometime in the future. And in that, we miss the beauty of the, of the present. And the best place you and I can live is right now because it's the only life we have. We're not promised tomorrow we can't go change the past. I mean, the best life we can live is right now because it's the only life that we have. I asked you four series of questions last week, and I just want to put them up here real quick again. If you missed last week, you can snap a quick picture because I won't stay here very long. But um, when, when Paul writes his letters, he, always, he almost always begins with this um, grace and peace to you. And one of the things that we took from that is that Paul wants to form in us this understanding that when we think about God, grace and peace should be at the forefront of our minds. And I want to know, like when you think about God, do you think about his grace and his peace? Because that in the New Testament is, is the forefront of, of the teaching. And, and that should be personal to each one of us. Like God's grace and his peace is for us, but it's also for me. And it's for you. And it's a personal grace and peace. And I'm, I'm praying for some of you that if you've never felt that that was a personal thing, that over the next couple weeks that you would, you would find that to be a personal God who loves you and cares for you and he has grace for you and peace for you and hope for you. And then, you know, what, God, what work is God doing in you? And are you cooperating with that? And how might God want to use your current situation 
and the current people in your life, how, how might he want to use that for his good? And then in what ways are we living? So the end of the chapter, chapter one, Paul says, live as citizens of heaven. And he's painting this picture for us that, that this world isn't our home, and we should live as citizens ultimately of heaven and not just of the world in which we're residing right now, that we have, there's, there's a better place and a, and a better way to live. And, um, and, and my summary uh, is, you know, you hear me say this maybe too much, but I just, I'm, I'm going to keep saying it. If we miss Jesus, we miss everything. We just miss everything if we miss Jesus. Jesus adds so much life to our life. He is the life that we can live his example to us and the ways that he lived like gives us a path forward and a way to live. And I want to talk about that. Um, we get to chapter 2. I want to talk about that today because in chapter 2, um, he really fleshes that out a little bit more for us. Paul does. And so chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. And this is how chapter 2 begins. Now, remember, when, when Paul wrote this letter, there were no chapters and verses. It was just meant to be read as a long letter. So that's something each one of us could do is just go read it as a, one long letter because that's really what it was intended. But here's, here's how he begins. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made a difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart... How many of you have a heart? I mean, Paul is like trying to just say, everybody, come on. If you've got a heart, if you care at all, like he's trying to draw everybody in. He wants us all as followers of Jesus to, to be together on this. And so he's, he's, he's kind of pulling us and tugging us. And um, you know how, if, if you've ever, sometimes I have to put on my fundraising hat. I'm not going to do that right now. Don't worry. Some of you are like, I'm out if that's what... Um, if you've ever had to wear a fundraising hat and you're like trying to draw in as many people as you can and you're like, okay, you know, if you care about kids and if you, you know, if you love the little ones and the next generation and all of that, if you have a heart, do you have a heart? Do you care about anything? You know, it's that like Paul is like pulling us in and then he goes, he says, then do me a favor and he goes on and he says, then agree wholeheartedly with each other and love one another. And work together with one purpose and one mind. And here's why that is so important. Because we live in a world that divides us and pulls us apart. There are so many external forces working against our unity that our unity as followers of Jesus is of utmost importance if we are to move the kingdom of God forward here in the world in which we live. Our unity is of utmost importance. And listen, if, I mean, we don't even have to look very far to see this world wants to divide us as people. It pulls us apart at every opportunity. And what Paul wrote 2,000 years ago, how applicable is this to us today? And I, you know, one of the things that happens within the church, and I don't mean just this church, I mean the church in general, is that we start fighting with one another and we're defeating our pur the, the purpose God has for us from within. Now, I know this isn't for everyone, um, but I'm a, I'm a huge sports fan. I love sports. And I know you get tired and some of you like roll your eyes when I start talking about sports, but I think team sports can teach us so much. And one of the things that's just true about team sports is that 
you all on a, t- on a team have to have one mindset. You, you have to have one purpose in order for that team to be the best possible team, right? And if you've ever been on a team, you know this to be true. If, you, if there's anyone, someone asked me recently, what, I th- what do I think about the NIL and, and these college athletes getting paid and all these different, different things? I think it's going to make it very difficult for teams to be teams when each individual is in it for themselves. Now, we can talk about the money of it all and all, all that, but a team to be together and of one mind and one heart they have to be unselfish in their approach to playing the game. Now, the same thing is true about a band. So those of you who roll your eyes and you can't stand when I talk about sports, do you like music? Do you have a heart? So I love our band. I I, I think we have an incredible band. And one of the things, yeah. And one of the things um, that makes a band great, and I think makes our band a really good band, is that not, no one on this team is in it for themselves. Uh, bass players sometimes are forgotten in the whole band mix, aren't they? See, you don't even know. That's what I'm talking about. Bass players, because they, you know, they, what they do, you can kind of hear it, but you got to listen for it. It's kind of deep, and you can feel it sometimes in your chest, but you don't really. Uh, and and our bass players, like they're not in it for themselves. Our bass players don't, you know, just slowly move up to the front because they want to be seen, and you won't see them like, you know, kind of hitting the drum and or hitting the side of their bass, and then all of a sudden they're like, look at me, look what I can. You know, they don't do that. Um, our guitar players, Greg, this morning was on this side, and he, yeah, <laughs> our tech team's behind. They're like, Matt, you didn't tell us you were going to do this. I didn't know I was going to do this, but like our guitar players aren't like turning their guitar up louder and louder because they realize the mix is really important, and it all has to blend together, and Jason, who was on the drums, he's not back there. He's like, I don't think I'm getting enough, so I'm going to hit this cymbal harder than you can ever imagine and just like smack... Like a band realizes that each part is important for the whole, and they have one mind, and this band has one mind and one purpose, and that is to be a tool to lead us in worship. That's their whole goal. And if any of them has a selfish mindset about being on the platform, then it ruins the whole experience. And this would be true in any of your favorite bands, any of my favorite bands. And it's true of teams. It's really true in all of life, and it's so important for the church. Um, Unity. One mind, one purpose. It's one of the reasons every week I say we're a community following Jesus, learning to love, because that's like our one mind. It's our one purpose. That's it. Um, Something important for us to, to remember is unity is not uniformity. Like, it doesn't mean we all have to look the same, like the same things. We don't all have to you know, speak with the same exact language, all of that. Like, unity isn't uniformity, and sometimes we think it is, and we want everyone to be just like us, but that doesn't, that's not what it is. In fact, when, when Paul talks about the church in other places, he talks about the human body, and the human body all can't be one part. Like, the eye can't say, I want to be a foot. Like, the eye needs to be the eye and do what the eye does. The foot is the foot and does what, so 
you get the picture. Unity is so important, and it's one of the things that Jesus prayed for the church is that we would be one as he and the Father were one. It's one of the last things he prayed for. Okay, so unity is really important. Practically, what does that mean? And Paul knows that we're probably going to ask that question. How do we do this practically? So he gives us a little list right here in chapter 2. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress other people. Be humble. Think of others as better than yourselves. And don't just look out for your own interests, but look to the interests of others. How are we doing at this? That's difficult, right? I mean, I just put this in there for my notes. I didn't know they were going to throw it up there for you guys to see. Like, how am I doing at this? And like, how am I doing at not trying to impress people? Like, when I sit down over dinner or in a conversation, is, is my effort spent in trying to impress them to make myself feel more important? Now, I don't want to put that on you, but how are you doing at that? How are you doing at, at humility? And how are you doing at thinking of other people as better than yourself? Wow. Like, practical, we could, we could just take this and be done for the day, couldn't we? I mean, we could, we could just take this and write it on a poster board and put it in our bathroom and put it in our car and just for the next month or two, just allow this to be the framework. And, and maybe we need to do that. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe I need to do that. And Paul continues, and he's going to help us. Now, humility is an interesting thing. Like, what is true humility? Um, if I think I'm humble, am I? When I finally realize, oh, I'm finally, I've reached it. I'm, I'm now a humble person. That doesn't really work. C.S. Lewis, I, I love this. You've, you've heard this quote before. C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's thinking of other people more, which is true, right? It's, it's, it's an ability and a mindset and an attitude to take the attention off of me and put it on to, to someone else or other people. Uh, Mother Teresa gave us some ideas. Speak as little as possible of yourself. That's an interesting one. Um, mind your own business. That's a good one. Don't want to manage other people's affairs. <laughs> Some of you are laughing. <laughs> Don't nudge your neighbor right now. <laughs> Pass over the mistakes of others. Accept insults. I mean, this is just a good list when you think about humility. How do I do this? And when you think about Mother Teresa, you think, wow, you know, she somehow was able to to, to take her life and simply serve other people and, and fill her life thinking about other people and how she could, how she could serve them. And then Paul um, then gives us a theological mindset. He gives us some theological backing to that list. So the idea of being humble and thinking of others, like why should we do that? What's the theological groundwork for that? And what we find next in, in this letter to, to the, this young church was probably the premier statement about who Jesus was and became the groundwork for how people understood Jesus. And so here's what he said. You must have the same attitude, and I highlighted that because I think this is an attitude thing. 
I think it goes to, to our attitudes, which is our heart and our mind together, how we are, are seeing the world and ourselves. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And here it is. Here's the theological framework. Even though he was God, he, was, he did not think of equality with God as something to hold on to or to grasp on to. But instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took on uh, really the, the nature of a slave. He became human and, and he even humbled, he humbled himself. He o- o- obeyed God and he became obedient even unto death, the worst kind of death possible, which was crucifixion, death on a cross. So, so Paul's giving us this incredible theological framework and an understanding of Jesus who had all authority, all power, one with God, was able to choose, willingly give up his divine privileges to become human and then obeyed, obeyed God to the point of death in order to bring life to all of us. That's, that's what Jesus did. So he's given us that framework. Now, you may be someone who says, I, Matt, this is just a stretch for me. Like when you get into all the theological stuff, I love the ideas of Jesus and I love the idea of, of God as grace and peace, but... I just don't, I mean, this is difficult, the idea that Jesus was God. And I would just say, stay with me just for a couple minutes. Even if you're, you're not sure how that works, the, the example that Jesus gave us, I think we would all agree the example of what he did with his life is extremely powerful and a great way for us to, to, to live and imitate. And here, here was the outcome of all of that. So God elevated him to the highest place and gave him the name that was above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And um, what's so interesting about this to me, can I nerd out just for a second? Are you, are you okay if I just like dig in a little bit to what was going on? Because I think sometimes we miss the cultural implications of what Paul is saying here. And I think it's important for us to see the ties. So, I told you last week that Philippi was an important city, and it was a colony of Rome. Yeah. So Philippi was a colony of Rome. Rome had come in, taken this part of the world, and they wanted to colonize. They wanted people in this region. They, they planted people there. They wanted people in this re- region to, to grow up and, and become citizens of Rome, which is so interesting that Paul uses the phrase citizens of heaven. They want them, the Philippians, they want them to be citizens of Rome, and they want them to recognize the Roman powers that be, and it's the Roman powers that be that actually are the ones who bring peace to them if they will bow to the the Roman powers. Now, the highest Roman power was the emperor, the, the Caesar, right? Caesar. And you've heard of Caesars in, in history class, like Caesar Augustus. Yeah, Caesar. <laughs> exactly. That's my favorite one. So there were Caesars who were in power. Listen, Caesars began to believe, the ones who were in power began to believe and put forth the idea that they were divine, that they were divine. So here's a couple coins, which would have been around in the days of Jesus. Um, you can see on the back of this coin, Caesar, 
Now, you may not be able to read Latin, but you can get the understanding, the idea, Caesar the divine, God-like, God. And on this one, um, divine, uh, this is one of the Caesars. Um, when Caesar Augustus, when he died, they saw a comet in the sky, and they say one of the brightest comets that's ever passed through the sky. Did anybody see SpaceX the other day? And you were looking in the sky, and you're like, what is going on? They saw this comet across the sky, and so this is on the coin. This is like a comet is the idea of this, and they believed that was a sign that Caesar Augustus had become divine, that he was divine. And then the Caesars who come after him, his kids, become known as sons of God, sons of the divine. Isn't that interesting? And the idea when they took a, a, a region was that those people in that region, like in Philippi, would begin to refer to them as divine. They would bow their knee and confess with their mouth that Caesar was Lord. Isn't that fascinating? So do you, see what, do you see what Paul is doing? He's subverting the powers that be, and he's saying to the world, it's not by using power to control people that you find life, but it's rather just how Jesus lived, using your power to serve other people. That's where life is found. It's subversive. It's living a whole different way. Now, I know I'm a nerd, and I find these connections, you know, fascinating. I hope some of you do as well. But I just think it opens up the world of Scripture to us just a little bit more, and we begin to understand, oh, my gosh, that's why they say that. That's why Paul is saying every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Is that just some religious Christian picture? No. He's saying that in the world... You are going, and I know this is totally disconnected from where we live today. In the world, you will have leaders who want to use their power to control you, and they will encourage you to bow your knee and use your mouth to confess that those powerful leaders are the way to win the world over. But I'm telling you, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, and that kingdom is one kingdom that will never end no matter who's in power in your world. Now, I know that's super disconnected. I know we don't have any leaders like that in the world today. <laughs> and I know I step on toes when I start saying, listen, voting's important. You should vote, I should vote, like we have the power to do that. It's really, really good. But when we begin to give our allegiance to people instead of Jesus, we're doing exactly what Paul was preaching against in these letters. He was saying, Jesus is Lord, and the way that Jesus lived is the way that you should live. And in living that way, that's where you actually find life. So he goes on, and um, he says, now work hard to show the results of your salvation. Now, what is salvation? Now, that's such an interesting word. For us, it's this religious word, salvation. Like, we think of that, and we think there's all these religious connotations. In Philippi, what they would have thought, because the, the whole colonization thing of Rome was that Rome and Caesar is saving us. Our salvation is in Rome because they've come in. They're bringing peace to us as long as we agree with them. And what 
Paul is saying, no, no, like, work hard to, sh to show the results of your salvation, not your earthly salvation through the powers that be, but rather the salvation that comes when you pledge your allegiance to Jesus and you enter into the kingdom of God and obey God with deep reverence. Oh, wait, 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 go back. Obey God with deep reverence and awe, for God is working in you. Now listen, don't miss this. If you are here today, if you're listening today, if you're, if you're streaming online, like, God is working in you. I want you to know that. Like, God has not set you aside. God has not forgotten about you. God is beginning and has begun a work in all of us, you included. You are included in that. And you're like, I don't even know what I believe about God. He's working in you. He's working in you, and God is the one who, when he's at work in you, gives you the desire and the power. God's spirit gives you the power to do what God calls you to do. And it comes back to the question, are we, are we cooperating with the very spirit? Are we participating with the spirit that God has put inside of each one of us? And I said it last week like this, when God begins a work in us through his Holy Spirit, it requires our active participation. We're invited to be a part of the process. We have to cooperate. We have to participate with, with what God is doing. And so he says, do everything without complaining and arguing. Live clean, innocent lives, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Now, what's so crazy about this is this idea of bright lights if you had one of those Roman coins in your hand and you flipped it over and you saw that comet, the picture of the comet that was on there, you would think bright lights like that comet, like everybody saw and everybody sees. And what Paul is saying is you should be like a bright comet. You should be shining bright in a way that, that stands out, that you're set, a, you're, you're set apart, you're different than like the crooked generation, the, the wicked generation all around you. Does that, does that make sense? Isn't that fascinating how it ties in with what was actually going on in the world? And I think it's fascinating, and I think it ties in exactly with what's going on in our world today. And I think what Paul is encouraging of the Philippian people is what he would encourage us to do as well. Work hard to show the results of your salvation and shine like stars that stand out, like bright stars that are set apart, that are different like live differently because God is doing something in you. Um, when, I was, when I was thinking about who's the influential person that would be fun to sit down and, and have a meal with, um, there's a lot of people I thought about. But last year, um, I'm not a huge NBA fan, but I, I mean, I like sports, so you know, I can go along with what's on TV or whatever. But I remember an interview um, with Monty Williams, who, you know, I, th I think is a very influential person. And I remember him saying this, and I, I went back, somebody sent me this uh, like a year, year and a half ago. And he said this, the essence of my coaching is to serve. As a believer in Christ, that's what I'm here for. And I love that statement. I love the mindset that Monty Williams has that my, like, my role as, as the coach of this team or whatever team I'm a part of is simply to serve these players well and to bring out the best in them. And I was thinking to myself, what if that was all of our mindsets as followers of Jesus? That my role, whether I'm a realtor or a manager or I own a business 
you know, whatever it is that we do, like what if, what if my mindset, what if my attitude, my attitude was like that of Christ Jesus, was simply that I am here in this role in order to serve people well? Do you think this world would be a better place if we all had that, that mindset? Like, and he says that's, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, that's what I'm here for. And I think that's exactly what Paul is encouraging in, a, in, in us. It has to do with our attitude and our mindset and how we go into the life that we live. So um, you might get tired of my questions, but I'm going to push on some questions again. So here, here are the questions for today. What is the predominant attitude in your life, in my life? What's the predominant attitude? And if you don't know, this is really difficult, but ask the people who know you best what the predominant attitude in your life is. And don't get mad when they tell you. Like, receive it humbly. Like, what's the predominant value? And then... A follow-up question to that is, what most influences my attitude? And here's what's so interesting about the book of Philippians, the letter that Paul wrote, is that he was in prison. He probably was hungry because they didn't give food in prison in those days. They relied on outside sources to bring in their food. He had to find someone to bring him food. Um, He had joy, which meant he saw that, 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 like, the influence in his life was something deeper than the outside circumstances, than what was going on right here. So I wonder, what is it that, that in your life, what is it that influences your attitude? And sometimes that'll show you where your hope is. Okay, maybe you'll get that later. Am I participating with, and I asked this one last week, am I participating with, am I cooperating with the one who's working in me? And then am I a light bringing joy and peace to those around me in this world? How can I be more intentional about serving others in my life this week? Like what can you do this week to have that that attitude of Jesus to serve some people around you? Um, We're going to don't jump up yet, but we're going to close with communion today. Many of you picked up communion elements when you walked in. Um, we're going to close by receiving communion together as, as a church. And um, the band's going to lead us in a little bit of a song, which will give us time to get communion if you, don't, if you haven't picked it up yet. Um, but I think this, taking communion, is a way that we both acknowledge what Jesus did and we commit ourselves to this same way that we want to give ourselves, we want to serve other people in the ways that we live. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me, and as the band leads us, if you didn't um, pick up communion, you can slip back and, and grab it, and, um, and then we'll, we'll receive communion together. So Father God, in these moments, we, we center on Jesus and what he did, and we commit ourselves to, to be humble, to think of others, to follow the path of Jesus as uh, Paul encouraged the Philippian church to. Jesus, you are the king of all kings. And today we, we give you our attention. We, we, we bow to you and we claim that you are our Lord.
that lyric that that Jesus even though he was facing death saw what was on the other side of that death and was willing to give up his life for your salvation and mine to give us life so as a as a community of followers of Jesus when we take communion we we remember that it was his body broken for us we remember that it was his blood poured out for us but we don't just remember, in, in taking communion, we also, Paul says this, we commit ourselves to live as people of Jesus, Jesus kind of people. So Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took a piece of bread and he broke it and he gave it to each of his disciples and he said, take this and eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Let's eat this together. And then Jesus took a cup of wine that was on the table with his disciples and he, he gave thanks to the Father and he said, this is a new covenant. This is my blood which is poured out. This is the new covenant between God and all humanity and this is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. So Father God, we join with followers of Jesus throughout all these years. And like the Philippian church, we, we turn our, our lives towards Jesus and we see Jesus not just as a good teacher, not just as a good man, we see Jesus as the King of Kings. And we confess with our mouths that he is Lord. We bow our lives to him and we commit our ways to, to obey his teaching, to follow him in all ways. Father God, thank you for sending Jesus. 
Jesus, thank you for dying, for choosing to give up your life for us. And, and Holy Spirit, thank you for filling us and doing that work in us that we can't do on our own. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.